What's up, Joe? What's up, everybody? Big data has taken over sports. New stats, new ways of evaluating players, and new strategies that are data-driven are all the rage. Today's guest, Bob Meyerhoff, has been dealing with sports data for nearly 30 years, and he joins us to discuss the various ways big data is being used today and how he is working to help players and agents use it to their advantage. Whether you're a new age stat head or a hard and fast traditionalist, you'll want to hear what Bob has to offer. So hang with us as we dive into big data on Sports 360. Today on Sports 360, I'm pleased to have with me Bob Meyerhoff. Bob is the president of Information Logistics, uh, a company that helps players, agents, and others uh, make the most use out of sports data. Um, and in this era, Bob, of big data and sports data, um, you are a valuable man. Welcome to the show today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Jeff. Uh, I, I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, we, we've been involved in data, uh, and, and had a, a, not only a front row seat, but a, you know, on stage involvement in the evolution of sports data. Uh, I was very lucky to be a, an actuary when I started my work life. And I was even luckier to be an actuary working for another actuary named John Dewan, and luckier yet to have the opportunity to work with John Dewan in the building of Stats Incorporated, which then, of course, led to the business that I'm in today, uh, which we started in 2001. And uh, I, I, um, uh, I still get to work with John, even though I don't work with him in the same company, and we are uh just all about sports data uh and it's amazing uh, explosion in in, in uh, for for all kinds of great purposes and you know bob i know as someone as you just said i mean you got right to it you've been in this uh in the sports in the data business since 1982 and so i would imagine that this is an exciting time for you that you enjoy um, uh, all of the data and all of the information that is out there and helping your clients to understand the information out there too. But, you know, when I, when I think about sports today and I work primarily in baseball, you do a lot of work in baseball and you hear things like war and launch angles and exit velocity and, in basketball, we have player efficiency ratings and things of that sort. It becomes very complicated for players, agents, and those who represent players to understand this world. And so um, I want to talk uh, today with you about how you go about helping players and their representatives navigate in this complex world because uh, i know that's a big part of of what you do day in and day out no absolutely we you know uh are we build tools 
that help non-technical people, the agents who know so much about the game and are, you know, powerful analysts, but they lack the programming and technical skills to navigate this new explosion of data. This data is not tame. It's, it's, it's wild with complexity because, among other things, it's so granular. It's not just down to the game or the at-bat or even the pitch. It's down to, you know, what's going on while the ball is coming from the pitcher's hand to the catcher's glove. So it's very, very complicated data, and we help agents um, make it useful to them. And, and that's so important because when you talk about the complexity of the data, I think about the Bill James handbook, which is something that is used, you know, throughout the industry in baseball. Um, and when you go to the back of the book and you look at the various statistics that are back there and then the definitions, there are times where the definitions and the formulas for particular stats go on for pages of how yeah. these stats are calculated. And so you, you, yeah. you're not overstating it when you talk about the complexity of, of the data. And, you know, for those of us who are not so inclined and, you know, <laughs> they say lawyers, for example, I'm a lawyer, right? They say lawyers go to law school because they can't do math. Um, and so we need someone who's going to understand these numbers and help us make sense out of it. And so I can imagine uh, business must be something where, you know, you're in high demand these days, given where we are. Well, we, we love we love helping empowering agents um, and 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 other people involved in the analytics of uh, on the players' side of uh, salary negotiations and other things that agents do. And and our goal is to help agents come away feeling empowered. Uh, we try to create tools, for example, that 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 bridge the gap between all this complexity and the the vast knowledge that they have about players. And in order to do that, um, we have to do some, you know, fairly complex technical work to build these tools and 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 make them as powerful, flexible, but also as best we can, make them easy to use. And so, Bob, let's talk about some specifics, if we could, you know, and sure. how you help players and agents, because I would imagine one of the main areas is in what I would call player contracting, helping players understand their contract or market value, whether it's in free agency, uh, in salary arbitration, in baseball, and if you're doing it in other sports, just generally, when it comes time, to negotiate a contract, I would imagine that you could be of great assist to agents and players. So do you get involved in that kind of work? And can you explain to us how, you know, how sure. you help if you do, how you help your clients uh, when it comes time to, to try to negotiate that next contract? So um, as a quick aside, you know, in, in, in one year in basketball, we helped agents secure close to $300 million in signings. Um, uh, an example from that experience 
uh, and uh, was a player that we were helping the agent in, in his representation. Uh, that player had a great platform year, meaning that the year before he was going into negotiations, he had great numbers. But he had a very thin career. Uh, he had really come into his own in his platform year, and there was very little evidence of the consistency that that player would have to demonstrate in order to earn a multi-year lucrative uh, contract that we thought he deserved. Uh, in that case, you know, our, our goal was to find comparables that would uh, uh, show that players who had excellent platform years but thin career history uh, uh, and, and, and went on to sign long-term lucrative deals. Uh, I, I'm pleased to say that the agent we were working with in this case, after uh, all was said and done, said to us that his player actually cried after the negotiations settled because of the deal that, that came down in that case was just beyond his expectations. Now, that doesn't always happen, but that's that's an example where um, there were significant challenges because the player had exploded in a single year and and was vying for a, a long-term deal. You know, I, I, I appreciate that story because, you know, many times the focus on player contracting is on the superstar player, you know, who just has great numbers year in and year out, the perennial all-star. But many times the more difficult negotiations, you know, are for other players because many players don't fall into that superstar category. They have some uneven performance. Then the challenge becomes how do you accurately assess the value of that performance? You know, when there are some, you know, some down spots in their uh, performance, there still are ways to show that the player has value that should be acknowledged in the marketplace. And so I can imagine that you can be very helpful in that type of situation. Um, as you just said, the player had a thin resume. Sometimes the player has some down performance or uneven performance, but you still have to find that value. And um, I would imagine that you help agents in situations like that as well. Very much, and, and you know, there's all the conventional ways that we help, uh, and and now with fairly unconventional data, uh, such as leverage, where uh, one of the things that we can pinpoint are those moments in the game throughout the season that a, a player has faced a, a, a moment or moments in the game where the the the, the score could dramatically change. Uh, during that that time, and uh, leverage allows us to do an awful lot to help players who make arguments about a how they were how the team views them, how they were used in those critical moments, and how they how they performed in those critical moments. So that's one example of how we can look at a player who may not have stunning season totals, but but is is if if you th there's a story for that player there's a context and and 
some of the exciting new data that's out there is very effective at helping to uncover that player's true value. Yeah, and I like what you just said, that there's a story to that player. And and many times, whether it's in salary arbitration or free agency or other contracting situations, player advocates are telling a story about that player Absolutely. and they're doing it using numbers. And 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 so um I, I really appreciate you saying saying that. Bob, let me ask you a question in terms of free agency, for example. You know, last year in baseball, we had a very strange free agent market where a lot of players didn't sign and and many players who did sign signed late in 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 the process. Uh, in baseball, you know, we hear often that the data is demonstrating to the clubs that players start declining in performance at certain at a certain age. And I think right now it's like age 32 is sort of the, the cutoff that the data seems to show that there might be some declining performance. First of all, um, is that data that you are familiar with? Is that data that you agree with? Is there any countervailing data out there uh, regarding this particular point about in baseball that players at a certain age begin to take on more of a risk because of declining performance? Well, there is some evidence out there, but part of the vexing part of this is that the teams have their models. They are somewhat opaque, very opaque, you know, in terms of what it is that they're exactly basing their conclusions on. And furthermore, they enjoy access to data that at least certain data that agents aren't uh, aren't allowed to have, um, and and so uh, whether you know the general proposition that a player ages and and performance declines is is you know hard to argue with, uh, and and the data shows it. But the the question really becomes, for example, we worked on a. a uh, a free agent last year who was looking to do a five-year deal and was uh, in that 30-year range. And the question was, well, what would those, you know, older 35, 36-year age of uh, look, look like? Um, you know, to some extent, there are players who the teams will, will just eat those out years because they know that's the cost of, of bringing that player in for the the prime years that they're trying to secure. Uh, Perhaps the market has shifted in that way. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Harper this year. And, 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 um, but, but one of the things that we tried to do was show that this player was a, uh, uh, still going to perform at a level that would be, impactful for the team even at at the, in those older years um we were able to model that player's uh uh performance by taking similar players who came before and looking at their years in there in, in, in at age 35 36 in some ways this is kind of an actuarial proposition that that was familiar to me but um it's it's a complicated argument, and 
ultimately, as you were saying in a conversation that we had at one point, you can make these arguments, and, and at the end of the day, what matters is how many teams are going to pursue that player and, and, and make a market for that player. But, but we have worked in this area with aging, and, and it, it's, it, it's something that we think uh, we have something to say when it comes to certain players who, who are going to age, we think are going to age better than the pack. Okay. And, and so when you say that, Bob, are, are you saying that you're able to develop models that are particular to an individual player that may be negotiating a contract as opposed to players generally? So this player is 32, but he's different from other 32-year-olds based on models that you develop? Are you saying that, or that you're able to do that's that? What we, that's what we were doing, yes. That's that's what we were doing with, with the player that I'm referring to right now, and and we, we've done a little of that in basketball as well. Um, you know, there, there may be generalized studies that show how a player will age but when you look at the specific type of player that that you're representing, he may possess characteristics that represent a subset of that aging, um, and that subset uh, could age more favorably. Furthermore, if the player is strong enough, uh, even if they diminish their skills, they still may be extremely valuable to the club if they start at a high enough point. Um, the, uh, the, the approach that we try to take is to find as many players as we can who, who reflect uh, characteristics of that player and look at how they've performed as they've aged um, and, and conceivably, depending on the player, and in this case it was the case, the, um, uh, those players age better than the conventional wisdom. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That, that that's really interesting, um, and and it's good, right? That that a player can have something a a a specific player can have something to go against the sort of generalized data that may uh, be out there. Bob, what what about the area of wearable tech? We hear a lot about that. You know, um, teams are interested in it. Players are interested in it. Um, to help in training, to help improve performance, uh, injury prevention, uh, recovery, a lot of good things. Uh, but it also comes with some potential um, potential red flags as well. Uh, do you get involved at all with wearable tech? We don't get involved now uh, at, with wearable tech, but we think it's the kind of thing that we could uh, be uh, very helpful in because, again, we have very complex data uh, that uh, experts, but not technical people, need to be able to uh, uh, analyze in depth. And so this is exactly the kind of area where we've worked in the past and have had success. You know, one of the things that's going on in the game is that literally rocket science is being used to measure everything that moves on the field. And you can imagine going forward that wearable tech 
it is going to measure everything that moves inside the player. Uh, so we've gone from inside the park to inside the player. I uh, can only imagine how much data that would involve. And, um, you know, the exciting part of it is, like you said, it makes players better. It, it gives us uh, uh, other ways to try and identify players who might not obviously be uh, identified as, as, as strong performers. But, you know, from a player advocacy point of view, it's scary. It's scary to think of how that data could be misused. You know, if it were to uh, be used to predict health issues for a player uh, at, at salary negotiation time, that strikes me as, as unconscionable. And, you know, that's just an example of how it could be used. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I have you know, a, a list of concerns and others who, who are um, player advocates about, you know, how that data would be used, how it would be protected, the confidentiality, security of the data, ownership of it, all types of questions oh, associated with the data that um, wearable tech but, uh, can, can um, produce. You guys are doing something very important by worrying about that. I, you know, I couldn't agree more. Right. Yeah. But, you know, what you said about measuring everything that moves in the park and then getting to the point where you're measuring everything that moves inside the player, it, it, it that really brings up a, a host of concerns for those who have issues of privacy and confidentiality, mm -hmm. ownership and, and the rest of it. Um, right. What about on the field, Bob? Um, and I want to stick with baseball, which is what both of sure. us know well. We we saw this year on the field this um, phenomenon called the openers, right, where yeah. more and more teams were using relief pitchers to start the game uh, instead right. of the traditional starting pitcher, and then that starting pitcher coming in later. We also see um, the prevalence of shifts and, you know, there have been some question as to whether shifts should be outlawed because – you know, this year in baseball, we had more strikeouts than hits. And so right. um, you know, a lot of right. outs being made, a lot of strikeouts and, and, and those types of things. So not a lot of action on the field. Um, right. Big data involved in those uh, changes that we've seen, in, in your opinion? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, you know, uh, uh, for the opener, there's, you know, very clear data that shows that the first inning is the most productive inning offensively in the game. Uh, uh, you know, if you're bound to the conventions of baseball, then you might not think of this, but now that clubs have, you know, data science operations in the front office, there's other voices in the conversation who are thinking perhaps outside of the more traditional way of, of managing a game. And so the idea – there's data to support getting a hard-throwing reliever who's not going to last many innings to get out the top of the order and then turn it over to the – using the term loosely – the starter gives that starter an advantage, gets them you know fewer times against the top of the order, 
uh, fewer uh, uh, times through the order uh, for, for for the players in general, ability to get just longer into the game potentially. Um, those are all supported by data, but obviously there are downsides to these things, both in terms of, as you pointed out, um, the 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 excitement of the offense in the game. Uh, the, you know, we've talked about you know the concerns you and others have raised that I think are, is very important. The, the the questions about compensation for players if they're not going to be used in the way that have conventionally uh, led to players uh, being able to to negotiate their fair value in, uh, in, in salary. Um, I personally love these innovations, and and it's it's kind of exciting to me to see the shift being deployed or or these unusual ways of, of managing a game. But as for the general audience or whether or not it's it's good for the game, uh, and as, most importantly, whether or not it's good for the players, that's, that's a concern. Sure. It's no question. I mean, because in some ways, it could be argued that big data is, is shutting down the game, right, in terms of action because of the shifts and, you know, use of openers and, and things of that sort. But the other point that you made about the effect that it can have on player salaries, I think is really concerning because instead of that traditional starting pitcher actually starting the game, he's now coming into the game and it's a relief appearance for him. Now, if he comes in in the second inning, he's now has made a relief appearance and not a start. Um, His innings are going to be down. His number of starts are going to be down. And traditionally those are, the type of statistics that help a, a starting pitcher get paid. Of course, he has to pitch well, but, you know, if you have 26 starts instead of 33 starts, that's going to, to, to matter come, come salary time. And, but, but here's the thing, Bob, that I, that I think about on this point as well. You know, sometimes we hear that, and I think you, you alluded to it as well, that a pitcher might the data will will would demonstrate that a a particular pitcher suffers uh the third time through the lineup and right. you know but we may have a situation where that very pitcher is is just on his game that day and he's pitching right. well and particularly in the postseason right where it seems that managers are just going to the bullpen so quickly so you can have a picture who's really seeing a lot of that well. this year. Sure. And, and the data suggests third time to the, through the lineup, he may face difficulty. But your eyes are sh- telling you he's mowing this team down. And yet and still, right. we'll see a manager rely on the data instead of what he sees in front of him. And that's the type of thing that I believe can be just very perplexing for fans who are watching the game and seeing the pitcher really pitching well, but he's being taken out of the game because of what the science says. Right. Right. And, and, you know, uh, you know, last year, Houston uh, went against, you know, the ultimate uh, data oriented team. Nonetheless, uh, you know, they, they hinge made decisions that, that left, his starting pitcher in longer than 
than you would you would think because he was on and and it made uh, it was a gutsy uh, decision and it, it probably made a big difference in the outcome of the World Series. It, it's it, it, as much as I think the 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 data aspects of the game are important to have you know that it's important that there be a voice. I couldn't agree more that it can't be the only voice and that data gives uh, a way to uh, draw a circle around what might happen, but, you know, anything can happen. And, and as a manager, you, you have to look beyond the data as well. It's yeah. not a game that can be run by robots. Well, it seems that <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that, given that we're talking about having a uh, electronic strike zone or whatever. Yeah. So I don't know. I the know. game might be moving that way. Um, Bob, let's go back to something that you touched upon earlier, where we were talking about certain data that, um, you know, related to age. And you said, well, there's certain data that agents or players do not have access to and teams are building certain models based on data that players don't have access to. That's one of the things that I've often thought about and, you know, the informational disparity, because, you know, when I hear, you know, certain data being offered and, and being accepted and talked about, I often wonder, I said, well, it's being said, but where is it? You know, in other words, you know, it's not as if it's, you know, people have information in their hands and we all can see it and study it and evaluate it. It's we're just being informed of certain things. And then it's repeated often enough that it seems to be true. Um, How do we fight against this informational disparity? Because I do believe that players are at a disadvantage. So one of the arguments I've heard, and I don't claim to be close to the details here, but is that there are certain data that the teams or MLB won't make available to the agents in general because they are they are are the work product of the teams and the league's own innovation. And you know, if if the agents or or the union wants to have similar data, well, then they should do similar kinds of innovation uh, on their own and. Uh, you know, another argument I've heard is that teams are, are at war with each other. And if these data are released to agents, then effectively they're released to all the other teams as well. That was a mentality that existed back when we started Stats Incorporated eons ago. And, and that was the reason Stats Incorporated came into being. Uh, you know, one answer is to come together as as uh, on the player side and create the critical mass of resources to to create the kinds of models and 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 measures uh that 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 allow us to combat that uh i don't know how realistic that is um, it it's very troubling it's it's a it's a problem that in my mind, needs to be solved by releasing uh, that data to the agents as well. The only thing that gives me a little hope is that when you go to sites like Baseball Savant, it seems that MLB is increasingly um, uh, pulling back the curtain on some of these data. Not all of it, 
but uh, the, the amount of publicly available StatCast data, which is part of what we're talking about, is uh, uh, is increasing. So, yeah. uh, uh, but I would like I, I can't tell you how many times uh, you know last year and in previous years since StatCast has become available that agents have come to us and said, uh, you know, the teams tell us this based on data that I can't see. And also, frankly, not just based on those data, but also on, on models that are are too dense, even if they made them available to us, to to evaluate and, and assumptions that that we can't challenge because we don't even know exactly how they're they're thinking about these things. They're uh-huh. just giving us conclusions. Right. Um, right. But when you know we were getting comments from agents about, you know, I'm hearing about route efficiencies and and so on, and I, I, how do I challenge that? Well, one of the things that we have done, and, and it occurs to me to, to mention, is we do have uh, relationships with the various data providers, some rather close relationships in some cases, and there are some data that's not proprietary that some of the, you know, BIS, for example, uh, has all kinds of interesting defensive data that we have brought to bear as at least some kind of counter and, and response in situations like this. Yeah, well, I mean, that that's helpful. And I think, you know, the, the idea of somehow trying to, you know, develop our own models on the player side and maybe even combining resources in order to do that, maybe at some point that will gain some momentum. Bob, let me ask you this, because, uh, you know, I can imagine as someone who's been involved, you know, with data, as long as you've been, you know, you're excited about where we live in the world we're currently living in. Um, I I have to believe, though, that there are fans um, who from time to time may feel that it's a bit of information overload that, you know, with the, the discussion about the game, the analysis of the game, the playing of the game is becoming too technical. There, there, there's too much information. There's too much dense information to the point where maybe it's taking away some of the joy of the game. Um, what are your thoughts about that? So Bill James appeared on The Simpsons, uh, and it, uh, one of his lines, this was years ago, was uh, that he, he announced himself as, I made baseball as much fun as doing your taxes. And uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. bottom line is that, uh, you know, it's not just the fans. Uh, we care deeply about our clients. And we, I, I had a call today with a client of ours who, who was just up to his eyeballs in frustration over some of these measures. Part of the problem, by the way, is that that some of the new, you know, even when OPA, uh, when um, on-base and slugging uh, came into being, and, you know, that was somewhat revolutionary, um, you could calculate those numbers yourself. You can't calculate war yourself. You can't, you can't do a lot of the, you mentioned the back of the Bill James handbook. Um, you, you, you can't really get at the inner workings of some of these measures and that's frustrating for 
fans, agents, uh, I imagine possibly even players. That I don't have as much exposure to. But I, I like to think in terms of the the attraction of the game that the people who put on the games, the broadcasters, the, the, the league, the teams, they're, they're going to find the right balance. And also keep in mind that, um, you know, I'm a dinosaur, but uh, my kids have grown up with all of this. And, you know, the, the fan base may be evolving as well um, and, and looking for more of, of these types of cool insights into the game. Um, it's a double-edged sword for sure. You know, th- that's a a fair comment that somehow had the distinct effect of making me feel very old. Um, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> In my eyes, you're 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 very young. <laughs> you know, because when you talk about you know your kids and others of the generation, right, that they grew yeah. up this way, you're absolutely right. And then I just realized, I said, well, maybe, maybe I'm just old, right? <laughs> because I'm struggling <laughs> with this and, <laughs> and what have you. But no, but it, it, it's, it's, you know, hopefully you're right in terms of what the industry may do in terms of striking the right balance. But I will say this, um, it's no, it's no secret that in baseball, the front offices are growing younger and younger, right? With yeah. very educated <laughs> Along with my people. doctor and my <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. And you talked about teams that have data science or analytics departments right. now, um, right. and so you have a lot of young, talented, very educated, very smart people um, who are driven by the analytics. And so, you know, if baseball is going to find that balance, or other sports are going to find that balance, it, it, it remains to be seen. But right now, it seems to be that big data is, you know, the the dominant um, power out there right now when it comes to evaluating the game, talking about the game, discussing the game. Right, right. That that Rockies Cubs uh, uh, wild card game was one of the most exciting games I've seen in a long time. There was no offense in that game. Uh, I don't know that you can generate interest uh, through a steady diet of those kinds of games. But, um, uh, again, it's conceivable that that the fan base is changing, that uh, MLB will dial it down over time, uh, and so on. But, but it, you know, it it is it is a a question. Sure. Well, um, well, Bob, I think there's. I, I'm going to have to have you come back on the show again because there are some other things okay. that I want to um, get you know talk with you about. And it's amazing that to think that someone who is like myself, not the biggest fan of big data, um, but I yet I, I, I find it an intellectually um interesting discussion and also too it's something that's really meaningful to our day-to-day work and so it's something that we have yeah. to deal with and there's so many right. other things that we could touch upon but um I, I i um you know i just want to thank you today for 
um, at least starting the conversation. And, you know, I would like to have you at some point in the future um, come back and we can talk about other aspects of big data. But, you know, thank you for coming on today and helping us understand data a little bit more. I would truly love that. And thank you so much. This has been a tremendous amount of fun for me. Yeah, me too. Even though, um, you know, I think after that comment you made, I think I need to go take a nap. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm ahead of you in that regard. So, uh, (laughs) All right, Bob. But listen, I I really enjoyed having you. And and I'm sure we're going to be talking down the road. And I look forward to you coming back again on Sports 360. So thanks again, Bob. Jeff, thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. In today's sports, people who are adept at mining and effectively employing complex data are taking on increasingly important roles. Everything from player contracts, roster construction, game strategy, training and recovery, fan engagement, and other areas are all driven to varying degrees by big data. In such a world, it's vital to have people like Bob Meyerhoff on your side. I've worked with Bob in the past, and I look forward to working with him again in the future. Right now, though, I'm looking forward to going home, man. (laughs) Scully has it in cruise control, and I'm about to order up a free pizza. If you want one, all you have to do is dial (laughs) 634-5789. You know nothing about that, but I do hope you enjoy your free pizza. And I'll see you next time on Sports 360.